0: St. Wurzburg derby. Can anybody at the back see what that is? Yes, bro. yes, bruv. What is it? <laughs> it's a ruler. Anybody? That's right. It is. It is a ruler. It's a ruler. Do you know what this ruler um, normally sits on my desk? But my three-year-old son knew I needed it for a little prop for my preach. And so this morning I had to ask my wife, Rachel, I said, Rachel, where's the ruler? And she had to go hunting for it and he'd hidden it somewhere, as he tends to do with most of my stuff. But thankfully, because it's made of metal, he hasn't yet broken it. Anyway, we're going to come back to the ruler in a few minutes. This week, somebody sent me an article saying about how lonely people in England are. Apparently we have record high levels of loneliness. And not only do we have high levels of loneliness, but I would say we have um, a deep sense of a lack of purpose and meaning. Many, many people in our culture today feel lonely and they feel insignificant. And maybe some of us here this evening feel lonely and insignificant as well. On the flip side of that, every now and then uh, we get a headline pop up and it will say something like, humanity trying to play God. And usually it comes off the back of some kind of scientific advancement or some kind of medical breakthrough. I looked earlier on in my Facebook feed and somebody had a kind of image. You can go on online and you can look around at using the Mars lander thing. I think it's landing on your Mars. You can see the Mars floor and the Mars scape. And he was like, isn't this amazing? I mean, it's pretty amazing. But actually... Um, maybe sometimes as human beings we get a little bit too uh, much a sense of our own self-importance. Maybe you sometimes struggle with pride or ego. I'm sure not, but you know, I know I sometimes do. I think of myself a little bit too highly. So on the one hand, we've got kind of insignificance, and on the other side, we've got self-importance. On one side, we've got self-pity, and on the other side, we've got pride. And over the past few months, we've been looking at uh, the question, who are you? Who are you? That's what we've been looking at, this notion of identity. Who are we at our core? And we've come up with lots of biblical answers that we're a child of God, that we're found, that we're chosen, that we're made in God's image and likeness, that we've been set free, that we are saints, that God is for us. Incredible things to kind of receive from God. And I want to look again, delve into the Bible, because actually the Bible isn't first and foremost about us. Sometimes we get a kind of thing, we start thinking about identity and we can focus on ourselves. But actually, the Bible isn't a book about us. So I don't know if you've got a Bible with you this evening or a Bible app on your phone. If you didn't bring a Bible with you and, you and there are some over by the pillar as you come in, if you want to pick one up when you come in next week, feel free to do that. If you want to run in the dark and nobody can see you and go and grab one now, you can. If you are new to this God stuff, if you're new to church and you do not own a Bible, then come and see me afterwards. We would love to give you a Bible. Okay? We believe that reading this thing really will change your life. We've got some to give away. They're just sitting over there. So do that. Um, if you could turn to the book of Psalms, if you open up your Bible randomly in the middle, you'll probably fall somewhere around the Psalms. You might fall on Isaiah or Proverbs, but the Psalms often you do. If you could turn to Psalms chapter 8 is what we're going to look at. Now again, if you're new to church, if you're just kind of exploring, if somebody's dragged you along this evening and said, all right, I'll come, um, you may not kind of Be clued up on what the Psalms are. The Psalms are the hymn book, the psalm book of uh, the Bible. There's lots of poetry in there. There's lots of prayers in there. And they're they're kind of a mixture of people, like we were a minute ago, pouring out praise to God. And then there are these honest prayers of when people are in kind of deep, difficult situations. God, where are you? God, my enemies surround me. And then there are rants at God. It's kind of, you should quite angry. And they're all mixed up in these honest prayers. And can I say to you, if you go away from here, Monday to Friday, and you kind of hear people from the front say, you know, we want to encourage us to be a praying community. We want to encourage you to kind of open up your hearts and pray to God and read the Scriptures. And you're sitting there going, I don't know what to pray. Like, I kind of sit down to pray and I start thinking about what I need for dinner or that assignment that needs to be handed in or that deadline I've got at work. Can I encourage you to begin to use the Psalms as your prayers? Christians and Jews have used the Psalms as prayers for thousands of years. And even Jesus used them. So I think that's a good place to go if you're struggling to pray. But let's turn to Psalm 8 and see what it has to say. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you've established a stronghold against your enemies. To silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I want to take you back a few years. I had a wedding to go to in Taunton. And it was a family wedding. And it was a cold winter's night. And a whole bunch of us drove down. And we ended up staying in this farmhouse. And uh, we got down there. And we had my niece, who was a toddler at the time, with us. And we stepped out of the car. We'd been nice and warm. We'd had the hot air blowing off. And it was like, oh my goodness, this is freezing. And it was one of those nights where you can kind of see your breath with the light of the house that we were staying in. And you know As we got out, my niece, who was used to the dull red glow of a London sky, pointed up into the sky and started getting incredibly animated and excited. And she was going, ah, ah, ah. And we were like, Grace, what's up? And we looked up. And there wasn't a cloud in the sky, which was probably why it was so cold. But you know what? In the words of Coldplay, it was a sky full of stars. Just incredible. We I knew stars existed when I was in London, but I didn't see them very often. And my niece that evening began to get a glimpse of the heavens. She got incredibly excited. Now emotionally, I I don't know whether um, you've been in a situation where you have stood in awe at either the night sky with the black and just those pinpricks of light poking through. Or maybe an incredible kind of vista from mountains. Or maybe in the Peak District, maybe a field outside Derby. Maybe even a flower sitting on your mantelpiece or wherever you might have it. But actually looking at creation and going, oh my goodness. Kind of struck with awe and with wonder. Well, I want to say to you this evening, if you're here as a guest or you're not quite sure about this God stuff, that feeling of awe and wonder I want to put to you actually points to the fact that there is something beyond us. There is something bigger than us. That awe and that wonder points to somebody else. Let's turn to the screens.
1: From galaxies and stars down to atoms and subatomic particles, the very structure of our universe is determined by these numbers. These are the fundamental constants and quantities of the universe. Scientists have come to the shocking realization that each of these numbers has been carefully dialed to an astonishingly precise value, a value that falls within an exceedingly narrow, life-permitting range. If any one of these numbers were altered by even a hair's breadth, no physical, interactive life of any kind could exist anywhere. There'd be no stars, no life, No planets, no chemistry. Consider gravity, for example. The force of gravity is determined by the gravitational constant. If this constant varied by just one in 10 to the 60th parts, none of us would exist. To understand how exceedingly narrow this life-permitting range is, imagine a dial divided into 10 to the 60th increments. To get a handle on how many tiny points on the dial this is, compare it to the number of cells in your body, or the number of seconds that have ticked by since time began. If the gravitational constant had been out of tune by just one of these infinitesimally small increments, the universe would either have expanded and thinned out so rapidly that no stars could form and life couldn't exist, or it would have collapsed back on itself with the same result. No stars, no planets, and no life or consider the expansion rate of the universe. This is driven by the cosmological constant. A change in its value by a mere one part in 10 to the 120th parts would cause the universe to expand too rapidly or too slowly. In either case, the universe would again be life prohibiting. Or another example of fine tuning if the mass and energy of the early universe were not evenly distributed to an incomprehensible precision of one part in 10 to the 10 to the 123rd, the universe would be hostile to life of any kind. The fact is, our universe permits physical, interactive life only because these, and many other numbers, have been independently and exquisitely balanced on a razor's edge.
0: I know for some of us that will have really floated our boats, and for others of us, we will have just tuned out as soon as we saw that many zeros on the screen, and that's okay. But if you enjoyed that, there's about another three and a half minutes of it, and I'm going to put it up on our social media this week, just to kind of, it continues on with that discussion. But Basically, it's saying that the universe itself is so unlikely that it points to it not being chance or necessity, but actually something behind it or someone behinding it, bringing it into being. And you see, the universe is absolutely incredible. And whether our kind of awe and wonder comes from looking at a night sky or looking at an incredible view, or whether it comes from contemplating lots of zeros and wondering how on earth all these things lined up that it could come into being in the first place, it can begin to make us feel very, very small. The best-selling book, The Purpose-Driven Life, by a guy called Rick Warren, um, wrote it, and he he basically was a 40-day journey where you read a little bit every day. And the first day begins with, it's not about you. Very contrary to our culture. Psalm 8 starts with, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You see, the whole biblical story begins with God. He's there before creation. In the beginning, God, it says. And then again in Psalm 8, you've set your glory in the heavens. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. Do you see that? The psalmist is saying this is only your God's fingers that made the universe. In Genesis, it talks about God speaking and the whole thing coming into being. That's poetic language. But actually, I love one preacher who talks about the star-breathing God, that God kind of opens his mouth and out comes the universe. Just incredible imagery of the God that we worship. This is not Jesus, Jesus meek and mild. It's a different sort of God. God. And at Vicar School, I I learned a lot of interesting things and some not so interesting things. But one interesting thing I learned was about the word difference. So when you come to the word difference, there are two sorts of differences. There's a difference of degree, and then there's a difference of kind. Okay, what does that mean? Well, let's say you've got a little child, and then you've got an adult. They are different in degree. Because the child will grow up to be an adult. They're both human beings. They're just different in kind of degree of, you know, age. But actually there's a difference of kind. Let's say you've got an ant and you have got a star. A star is not just like a big version of an ant. It is a completely different sort of Now, a few weeks ago, I was doing kind of Bible reading with my daughter who's six, and she came up with a a perfectly natural question for a six year old. She said, Addie, no, she didn't say Andy, she said, Daddy, that would have have been unnatural for a six year old. She said, Daddy, um, what existed before God? Who made God, I think was the exact question. I was like, oh, uh, well, um," and I tried to work out how I could say it, and I I kind of went through it, and I was like, well, Tibby, the problem is everything that we know, everything we've seen, has a beginning and an end. But actually, God doesn't. You see, God isn't just a difference of degree to us. He's not just like a bit, and I didn't say it's a because it wouldn't make sense, but he's not just a difference of degree to us. He's not just a big person in the sky. He's a different kind of thing altogether. He had no beginning. He will have no end. He is, he is for eternity. Now, I don't know about you, but that blows my mind. I can't quite get my head around that because everything I have to compare God to has a beginning and an end. It kind of has a finite mass and all that stuff. God doesn't. He is completely other. And do you know, when I look at the night sky, when I stand on the shore of a large sea or ocean, I feel small. But actually, the God I worship is bigger and more different and more other still. You see, this psalm helpfully puts us in our place. If we are prone to pride or arrogance or ego, read Psalm 8. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them? The image we have here is of God creating, God sustaining and God ruling over the universe. I'm allowed to do it. I'm a dad. I've been a dad for six years. God rules over creation. Now, You may be sitting there thinking, Andy, I don't really like the idea of somebody ruling over me. I quite like the idea that I can go out and do just what I please. But that's because we live in a culture where we understand freedom to be able to do whatever we like. And yet actually I put it to you that God is perfect. God is good. God loves us. God knows us better than we know ourselves. And therefore when we come in line with what he calls us to in our lives, actually that is perfect freedom. It doesn't sound like freedom to our culture, but it's true freedom from the one who loves us. So I just want to say this evening, the first thing to remember is that God rules. And if God rules, that levels us. If if we're tempted to get pride, if we're tempted to look down on somebody, if we're tempted to get arrogant, actually, God rules, and we need to remember our place in comparison to him. So is that where we remain? Is that just it, that God rules? Are we just animals wandering around in his creation? Are we just subjects in this game of God, some big game of Twister, where the Father, Son, Holy Spirit are just kind of playing, and we're just in there somewhere? Is that how it works? Well, I think our culture is massively confused on this. On the one hand, we're told we're just accidents. We're just kind of the byproducts of a random evolutionary process. And I'm not having a go at evolution, think God could well have used it. But it's the randomness, just being accidents. And then on the other side, we've got something where people say, well, you're special, you're a snowflake, you're wonderful, you're perfectly formed, and and actually, is it any wonder that people go, hmm, accident, special, these two things don't mix together very well, and people end up hopeless, because they see, I can't be an accident and be special, that doesn't work. You see, the Christian worldview says something different. Almost got myself into trouble this morning um, with this bit. But after Alpha a couple of weeks ago, we had that session on evil. And uh, if you're kind of exploring faith this evening, Alpha... Is what we advertise a lot. It's an opportunity to come and find out about the Christian faith with food and a talk and discussion. I thoroughly recommend it. We're kicking off on the 30th of January. Come and speak to us about it. We'd love to have you there. But after Alpha this week, uh, after a few weeks ago, we were talking about evil and somebody came up to me and they said, John, you know we had an incredible discussion about evil and we ended up talking about veganism and milk. I was like, oh, wow. Um, I need to be really careful, because we're in a church of lots of under-30s, and I recognise that there are a number of vegans and vegetarians around the place. I'm also aware there's a number of people that like steak and pulled pork, and I think that's incredible that we can be one in Christ together. And that's a really incredible demonstration of the gospel, so be encouraged about that. And I think there are good reasons for being vegan and vegetarian, ethical, environmental. The danger is a theological underpinning that some people use. Where they say that actually human beings are just developed animals. That we're just kind of a difference of degree. We're just kind of, you know, just pretty much the same. And you hear that. I talk to people and I say, Do you know what? We're just the same as animals. We're just advanced animals, aren't we? The Bible doesn't let us get away with that. Psalm 8. You've made them a little lower than the angels. And you've crowned them with glory and honour. So yes, God rules over everything. God does. God is on high. But actually, he's crowned us with glory and with honor. So yes, God rules. But then we rule. You see, we're not just animals roaming the planet. In the creation story, humanity is the pinnacle of God's creation. God makes us in his image and his likeness. And it says this, you made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds of the sky, the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. And part of being made in the image and likeness of God is that we take on God's mantle of ruling. We're almost like middle management. You know, God rules on high, but then he goes, you know what, you guys, you get to rule. We get to rule. In Genesis God tells humanity to subdue the earth. We're called to look after creation with him and for him. Stewardship, stewarding a creation is a major part of our calling. And I I don't know this evening, I don't know if any of you work in agriculture. I don't know of anybody that does. But I know that people that work on jet engines, and I know that people that write essays, and I know that some of you work in businesses, and I know that some of you teach, and I know that some of you are parents, and I know that some of you care for people. If you're doing those things, and you're doing them for Jesus... You're fulfilling God's role for you to rule over his creation. You see, there's no need to separate what happens here on a Sunday evening from what happens with you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. That is part of God's role for humanity, and we fulfill it by doing it well and for Jesus. This last week, I was reading a book on uh, the Moravians. I don't know if you've come across the Moravians. They're an incredible group of Christian people. They put my prayer life to, to, to into kind of insignificance because these guys prayed non-stop for a hundred years. A hundred years. Can you believe that? I mean, just incredible. Um, but not only were they incredible prayers, but they had this incredible community of people that together they followed Jesus and they honoured one another. And they, it didn't matter if you were out in the field, if you were preparing food, if you were making things. They saw all that they did in terms of honouring God and worshipping worshiping him. They were fulfilling God's role as his ambassadors. As God ruled, they then ruled as well. The sad thing is that none of us do that role perfectly. None of us are God's representatives perfectly. You see, we exert our power wrongly. Jesus said that we lord it over one another. Not only that, we sometimes kind of step into the front, push Jesus into the back, and pretend that we're the king. We kind of forget that he's reigning on high. We're like, no, it's about me. I'm going to wear my crown. I'm going to get on and do my thing. And actually, we abuse one another. We abuse creation. And we ignore him. And I think this could be a really good definition of sin. We don't like sin in our culture. We don't like to talk about it. But actually, if we think about it as not fulfilling that kind of that middle ruling role under God, Looking after creation, caring for one another. If we don't do that, that is a good example of what sin looks like. Now one of the interesting things about Psalm 8 is it's quoted all over the Bible. And if you've got your Bibles open or near you, I encourage you just to turn to Hebrews chapter 2, which is near the end of the Bible. It's a letter to the Hebrews, and it will come up on the screen. And it quotes some of what we had this evening. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 6. It says this. It says, but there is a place where someone has testified. Do you know what I find a really encouraging verse? The person that wrote Hebrews said, I know it says somewhere in the Bible something. I can't quite remember where it is. So if you can't remember where stuff is in the Bible, you are in good company this evening. says this, What is mankind that you are mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him? You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honour and put everything under their feet. Sound familiar? But then he says this, In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. There's only ever been one human being who ruled perfectly. He exercised his authority by serving, he challenged injustice, and he lifted up the broken, and he proclaimed the authority of the Father who was ruling on high. Jesus lived the life we could not live. Jesus died the death that we deserved. So that if today we allow him not just to be Lord, but in the words of Psalm 8, our Lord, if we allow him to exercise his good and perfect rule over us, then we can take our rightful place in relationship with him and also relationship with creation, both now and into eternity. Right at the beginning of this series on identity, Phil said, when we see who he really is, then we'll see who we really are. When we see who he really is, then we'll see who we really are. And the danger of, on a series of identity is that we just end up kind of looking at ourselves, staring at our navels, and focusing all on ourselves for a number of weeks. But actually... As we focus on Jesus, as we focus on the one who made the heavens and the earth, the one who rules over all, the one whose rule is good, who is full of love, we can have peace as we take our place as his ambassadors on the earth. Knowing that the whole biblical story ends with a new heavens and a new earth, in which everyone will say, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That is where the story is heading. And what about us for today? God rules, but then we rule. For some of us, I think it may be that we have never come under the reign and rule of God. So the response for some of us this evening would to say, Do you know what? I need to step back. I need to let Jesus take his rightful place. I need to allow him to be Lord of my life. For others of us this evening, we may need to recognise that actually we're not accidents. We've had that spoken over us. We felt insignificant, we felt self-pitiful. We need to recognise that we are crowned with glory and honour. The incredible thing about the Gospel is it is enough to humble the greatest king or queen, but it can lift the face of the lowliest beggar. The Gospel does both things to us. And for some of us, we need to realise, we need to have our face lifted, we are crowned with glory and honour. And finally, for some of us, we need to realise that what we do Monday to Friday is part of God's calling on our life. It's not just about rotors in church, as wonderful as those things can be. Actually, God is calling you in your week to fulfil your role in ruling under the one who rules on high.